great. Thank you all. Man, I'm still trying to get rid of chill bumps on that song. Good stuff. Well, it's been an interesting week. Um, uh, y'all know the queen died, right? So this is how I found out. It was interesting. I was, I was in a hospital making a visit, and I came out, got my car in the parking lot, and was getting out, you know, to pay for your parking. And the lady at the little parking checkout thing goes, have you been on your phone today? <laughs> I was like, I was kind of taken back, you know, and I was like, well, aren't we all on our phones all day? And she said, the queen just died. And she was like so sad. So she goes, I'm sorry, I know that came across kind of bad. I said, no, that's, that's okay. But it was just interesting. And um, uh, I know a lot of y'all, for some of us, we kind of go, queen, you know, and kings, and is that still a thing? You know, but it is, isn't it, for them and that culture. And um, a lot of y'all may have heard she was a very strong Christian lady, believer, and uh, a lot of interesting stories have come out of that. But how God encourages us is, is you know, the sadness of, of someone passing away. And then um, we got some good news last night that our um, student uh, minister, Alex, and Scott had a baby boy last night, and uh, they're doing good. And uh, we haven't got a name yet, but we're waiting on that. So uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good thing. Let's clap about that. Yeah. Be praying. Be praying for them. Well, sometimes uh, uh, I don't know how to explain how um, uh, I come up with sermons and things to talk about sometimes. Just sometimes God gives me stuff and I read stuff and different things. But anyway, so I had one illustration that I was going to use to start this sermon, but I'm switching it between services because I had been thinking about this other illustration and I was afraid I was going to mess the story up and I wanted to get permission from the person and they were here in the first service. So I went and verified the story and are they okay with me telling the story? And they said, yes, so I'm going to tell you the story instead of this. So if anybody was here for the first service, you get to hear another story on this one. So a guy in our church was uh, in the army and um, part of his... Uh, duties were to go to funerals of veterans and do the flag ceremony. Y'all have all been a part of that probably. If you've not, man, it will give you chills. It is a very powerful thing to watch them fold the flag for a loved one who has served their country. And so in this particular instance, um, uh, he and his partner who were folding the flag, right when they start, somebody, I think it was the other guy, made a mistake and he can't get his attention to tell him we're not doing this exactly right. And so they go ahead and fold the flag, but it's not right. And they know it's not right, but they're hoping that the family doesn't recognize that it's not right. Well, somebody that's at the graveside makes sure to point that out to the family. They did it wrong. And the family is so upset that they literally spit on these two guys. And so... In the process of an intention of doing something so sacred and special, they messed it up. And somebody pointed that out. Now, it's hard to recover from something like that, isn't it? You, you meant well, but you didn't do it the right way because somebody knew that there was a right way to do it. And that seemed to dishonor someone that had just passed away. Have you ever been a part of something that was like a big event or something very kind of sacred like that? That had good intention, but somewhere along the way it went wrong. And the 
in the course of whatever happened, it lost what it was supposed to be. And there just is kind of this awkwardness about it. And maybe you've been a part of that, maybe you haven't. But I thought about him, and even to this day, and when he first told me that story, I thought, man, what an awkward position to be in. You wanted to do it right, you, you, but it just happened, and it was one of those things. And, and we've been going through this series, Blinded Mind, and it comes from uh, a letter that Paul wrote to the early church in that first century Rome, um, where he started a church there, and he said this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Well, today we're going to continue that series, and we're going to look at another biblical story. And y'all, I love the Old Testament. There's so many interesting stories there, and we're going to look at another one today. But there was a big event plan that was supposed to go a certain way. But what we'll see that those involved um, in developing this big event had what we'll find out as a little bit of a blinded mind to holy worship to God in this big event that they were a part of. And this big event seemed at the time to be glorifying God. It seemed to be giving God thanks and uh, for all these amazing things that in the recent past God had done for Israel. Well, what were those things? Well, we're going to be looking at a passage with King David in it. It's when David first became king of Israel. He had just become crowned. It was a big event In the history of Israel, they knew that King Saul, the king before David, was not really the guy that he was supposed to be. And now he is dead and David has taken over and people respect David and they know he's a man after God's own heart. And they have, uh, David along with the Israeli army, have conquered Jerusalem. They have a new city that they're moving into and are going to set up the capital there. So David and his officers planned this big celebratory event to bring the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines and set it in this newly conquered Jerusalem. Now, I don't want to assume anything. I'm sure a lot of y'all have seen um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and maybe know some of that kind of stuff. But what is the Ark? For those of you who don't know, the Ark of the Covenant was this beautiful chest made of special wood that was covered in gold, and it was built during the time of Moses. And all of the details of this Ark of the Covenant, this chest, were dictated by God to Moses exactly how it was supposed to be made because it was going to be part of worship. And it was built, like I said, during the time of of Moses, and they carried it because they were mobile. You know, they would camp for a while, and they would set up the Holy of Holies, a temple of sorts, and and they would put this... um, Uh, You know, this Ark of the Covenant would be there to signify God's presence among them. And this Ark contained, inside of it, it it contained a a gold jar of manna. From Remember when God gave manna out of the sky for the Israelites? It had Aaron's staff that had budded in a supernatural way. And it had the stone tablets of the covenant, which we would know as the Ten Commandments, right? And those were all inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And any time they got ready to go somewhere, those things would be put in the Ark of the Covenant. And I don't understand how, but if you want to go and read the the passages of, of how specific this was, there was a way of doing it where it actually wasn't touched. And they did all this, and then they would 
bring the Ark of the Covenant with them wherever they went. And on top of the Ark, you may have seen it, there were these figures of two angels or cherubim who have, are bowing down and, and their wings are covering the top. And so supposedly God, the Israelites believe that God's presence dwelt between those two cherubim or those angels. So the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence among them. And it was considered the most holy, the most sacred object on earth. And for that reason, no one, not the priest, not the king, not even an animal was allowed to touch the ark. And if they did, they would die. That was part of the law. This was a way of God showing how holy, how completely distinct and powerful he was and he is. The I Am. But listen carefully as we read our text today about this big event that David And his officials had planned for this celebratory thing of bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to them into Jerusalem. So I'm going to look at 1 Chronicles 13. It's going to be on the screen for us. And also you can look at your Bibles or on your personal devices at your Bibles. But listen carefully uh, what happens here. So David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds... He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who were with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right To all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Shihar River in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Jerem. And David and all Israel went up to Bala of Judah, Kiriath Jerem, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ohio. Uh, guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kadon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household And everything he had. So I'm going to stop right there. And we're going to get back into a couple of chapters uh, uh, later in the the book there. But can you imagine this big event with about 30,000 people, y'all, that are celebrating in a parade all the way to Jerusalem, bringing the Ark of the Covenant. This is an awesome day for the nation of Israel. And they're celebrating, it seems to be God in this wonderful occasion. And then, man, there's this tragedy that occurs so all of a sudden it comes to a screeching halt and it we're depending on where you are in this celebration that day you're like why are we stopped what's going on somebody died what do you mean somebody died yes somebody died 
the guy that was in front of the cart with the Ark of the Covenant, and there, it, all of a sudden people are talking and it's getting back, you know? It's like he, he reached out when the oxen stumbled and he touched the Ark of the Covenant. I don't think you're supposed to do that. No, you're not. Now he's dead. Oh my gosh, are you serious? So what do we do now? There's this damper on this huge celebration and a man's dead and everybody kind of knows it has something to do with the ark. But, but God, we were worshiping you. We were celebrating you. Why would, why would you do this to this poor guy? Was he just supposed to let it fall down and break? Would that have been holy? Would that have been the right thing to do? And the t- text tells us that God's anger burned against Uzzah. He was mad about that? And notice that the newly crowned King David's reaction, David was angry at God that day. David was afraid of God that day. Have you ever been angry at God? It's okay to nod your head. Have you ever been afraid of God? It's okay to nod your head. We probably have all been those. David was a man after God's own heart, is what Scripture tells us. And he was angry at God. He was mad at God. And he was also afraid of God. Why did you let this happen? But notice God doesn't strike down David because he's angry with him. He doesn't strike down David because he is fearful of him. But David wanted to know why. Don't you want to know why? I've always read that and go, what the heck? Really? Did we have to do that? Why did this happen? We were worshiping and celebrating you, God. Why did you strike down Uzzah? David, in his anger and fear towards God, asked this question. Did you hear it? How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? Let me slow that question down. Listen to David's question carefully and think about it. How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? When I read that, I go, there's something in there that maybe isn't totally about glorifying God there. Or maybe just this is a little more about David and the kingdom of Israel and what they had just accomplished and what they wanted rather than about God and who he was and what he was about. David's response to this, he did not take the Ark of the Covenant. I don't want that thing in, in my new capital. Leave it at Obed-Edom's house. What happened to Obed-Edom's house? It was blessed, wasn't it? Now, it says, if you caught this, it was there for three months. Now, I don't know what happened over the next three months, but David was struggling. A lot of people were struggling over why this happened and, and, and all. What, what kind of God do we serve and worship that would strike down a man who's just trying to help out with the worship service? Well, I'm sure they called in the feds for a full investigation of the incident. Nope, they sure didn't because it happened in three months, and that would never have happened in this country. <laughs> But during those three months, I can't find exactly what happened in the scriptures. But David found out something about himself. David found out something about God. He found out something about Israel as God's people. Chapter 14 of 1 Chronicles tells us that David started talking to God again. He's still angry. He's still scared. But it says that he inquired of God, should I go up against the Philistines? And God clearly speaks back to David, go and I will hand them over to you. So David does. And in in the verses following this, and I'm not going to read it because of time, but 
David is told specifically a certain strategy to use against the Philistines. And David does exactly what God says and the victory is there. So David did what God said and God did what he promised. And he gave them into their hands. But something else happened during this three months, y'all. I don't know what it was, but somehow David found out something about himself, about God, and about the law that he had missed. So we're going to go to chapter 15 and listen to what we read here from the writer. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. David assembled all Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared for it. He called together the descendants of Aaron and the Levites. And I'm going to skip from verse 4 there to 11 because there's a whole bunch of naming of the Levites and I'm going to butcher all their names and offend their families so I'm just going to move on to verse 11. So then I'm going to try to not butcher these names. Then David summoned Zadok and Abathar the priest and Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel and Amenadab the, uh, the Levites. And he said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. Did y'all catch the different things that David learned and the people learned during those three months? Somebody said, we missed something. We missed something. We were so excited about this event that we missed that if God is the source of our worship, he ought to be the most holy thing in this event. And he was on a cart being pulled by oxen. That wasn't the way God set up that from the very beginning. And they missed that. Uzzah was not a Levite. He should have never been there. They should have known that. The ark was to be carried, not pulled by a cart. You know where they got that? The Philistines stole the ark of the covenant. It was in their territory, and all these horrible things were happening to them. And they put it on a cart with oxen and said, Get it out of town. <laughs> and so they're following the practices of a pagan people in this celebratory thing. And God's going, What are you doing? Is this really about me or is it about you? The Levites were to consecrate themselves in preparations. Nobody but the Levites were to carry it. The ark was to be carried by these poles on the shoulders of the Levites. The poles went right through the ark of the covenant on the gold rings that were put there from the very beginning the way God designed it to be. And they forgot that somewhere along the way. The first time... The intentions may have been very good, but they weren't really holy and they really weren't focused on God. The idea may have been good, but God had clearly instructed Moses how this was to be done to glorify him. 
And if you want to read about this, you can go to Exodus 37 and Numbers 4. And if you're having trouble sleeping, you can read a whole bunch of regulations. And you think, that's, that's crazy. It wasn't crazy to God, y'all. He set it up for a reason. Even if I don't understand it, even if you don't understand it, it was what God said. He knows better than we do. And David and the people did not follow any of those instructions the first time. Worship must acknowledge not just that God's done a great thing and we're taking over Jerusalem, let's celebrate. It's not just about that goodness of God and the blessing of God, but it's also about His holiness and His righteousness and His justice. All throughout the Bible, y'all, God says, I can't just wink at sin. I don't really need to send Jesus to die on the cross. I'll just go, all right, stop doing that, y'all. You ought to be ashamed. No, a holy, just God can't wink at sin. He has to do something about it. And in this same situation, as much as we go, but it doesn't make sense. But David and the people were kind of treating God like a good luck charm. Let's bring him into our, whole, our new home in Jerusalem and celebrate how good he has been to us lately. They failed to honor God's holiness and by obeying his commands that he clearly created and established for that very purpose. So the second time, there was true worship. There was a true worship service of God and His holiness. David and the people continued to dance with all their might and shouted and played the instruments. It was an amazing, again, celebration. And this time they went all the way into Jerusalem with the ark without incident. Because they did it the way God had asked them to do it. God was not angry. He was glorified and given proper thanks. David was not angry or fearful. He was humbled. And blessed. Because David found out something about himself. He found out something about God. And in the process it changed him. And the question you remember. How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? That sounds a little selfish doesn't it? And now I think David's question switched. How can we bring glory and honor to God. In a way that acknowledges him as the great I am. And that's what they did. So what do we take away from this story? What do you take away from the story? What do I take away from the story? How do I approach God? How do we worship God in the way we worship? What do we take away from this story corporately as a church in the way that we worship? How we approach God? We have two very different worship services here, don't we? But in both of those, we have to acknowledge God as a holy and wonderful and just God. I don't know that one's right or one's wrong. I don't think that's the case. It's our hearts towards God and how we look at Him. God in Scripture numerous times expresses that He wants our obedience, our obedience over sacrifices and rituals of worship. Because we can fake those, can't we? We can fake those. We can do these things and yet in our daily lives after we finish doing all the rituals on Sunday or at worship, we can go right out and deny Him and His holiness in the way that we obey Him or not obey Him. God senses, I believe, when worship or religious events are not really glorifying Him but somebody else, maybe even us. When we recognize and value relationship with God rather than religion, that's when God is glorified and that is when we experience His holiness. 
when we really value that relationship. A lot of y'all have probably heard of Oswald Chambers and probably have that um, devotional. A lot of you probably have read it, maybe reading it now. But he said this, Never try to explain God until you have obeyed Him. The only bit of God we understand is the bit we have obeyed. Man, that's pretty deep, isn't it? And I believe David thought he could explain God, but after this incident and this three months and then the next incident, I think that God, when David obeyed God, he understood God in a very different way and he understood David in a very different way. Peter Bulkley says this, If God be God over us, we must yield him universal obedience in all things. All things. He must not be over us in one thing and under us in another, but he must be over us in everything. Man, I like that because I want to say, I agree with that God and I'll let you be over that part of my life, but I don't necessarily agree or like that part, so I'm going to be over me in that part of my life. Don't we do this? But God says, no. If I'm God, if I'm the holy God creator that has created all these things for you, I must be over you in every aspect of your life. And that's hard. We struggle with that, don't we? I do. Eugene Peterson, a lot of us love his paraphrase of the Bible, the message. Did y'all know he wrote a book? You know what the name of the book is? He wrote lots of books. Eat this book. Isn't that a great title? Look it up on Amazon. Order it. But the book is about ingesting the Word of God and how it's supposed to be a part of us. You know the old saying, we are what we eat? But it it is pointing, that title is pointing to um, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel when he took God's Word into his mouth. It's referencing John in the book of Revelation when he is told to take the Word and it was bitter and all this stuff. It's referencing that. Eat this book. But in that book, this is what Eugene Peterson tells about a story in his life. He says, at age 35, I bought running shoes and I began enjoying the smooth rhythms of long-distance running. Soon I was competing in 10K races every month or so and then a marathon once a year. By then I was was subscribing to and reading three running magazines. Then I pulled a muscle and I couldn't run for a couple of months. Those magazines were still all over my house but I never opened one. The moment I resumed running, though, I started reading those magazines again. That's when I realized that my reading was an extension of something I was a part of in my daily life. I was reading for companionship and affirmation of the experience of running. I learned a few things along the way, but mostly it was to deepen my world of running. If I wasn't running, there was nothing to deepen. The parallel with reading scripture, he continues, is striking. If I'm not living in active response to the living God, reading about his creation, his salvation, his holiness, won't hold my interest for long. I want to read that one again. If I'm not living in active response to the living God, reading about his creation, his salvation, and his holiness will not hold my interest for long. Man, that's convicting, isn't it? The most important question, he says, is not what does this mean, but what can I obey? Simple obedience will open up our lives to a text more quickly than any number of Bible studies, dictionaries, and concordances. Man, that is convicting. But ingesting God's word to the point that it's a part of me. 
I obey it because it's a part of me. I don't necessarily understand it, but I don't question it because it's God and He is the Creator. So this morning, I hope we've all been challenged to seek how we do worship, how we approach God. And maybe we've missed something in our worship and in our obedience. Maybe we need to look inside like David did and Maybe it'll take three months. Maybe it'll take three years. Maybe it'll take three days. I don't know, but I think it's important for us to recognize that God always wants to do something in us and through us to to develop our relationship with Him so that we will recognize that we must never become blind to God's holiness and attempt to worship or do anything in church in a way that doesn't glorify Him but would rather glorify us. And we have to be... We have to be mindful of that, don't we? I mean, sometimes when I get up, I'm going, is this really? Ah, i got to tell a funny story so everybody will laugh and think I'm a funny guy. What am I doing? I'm thinking about Craig. And God wants to remind us in this passage, and that's why these stories that were, that again, really happened, y'all. I believe that with all my heart. These are true stories that God says, those people... Worship the same God that you do, and we all struggle with this, and God's trying to teach us something through his word. I hope you learned something today. And as we always do, I like to offer an invitation at the end of the sermon. Maybe there's somebody today, and guess what? You may be here today, and you know what? You may be angry with God like David was. That is okay. You may be afraid of God. Something in your life may have happened that you go, I don't understand that, and I'm glad you just gave that explanation of Uzzah, but it still doesn't seem fair to me. And what happened in your life may still not seem fair to you. And there's a lot of us sitting out there that go, yeah, you're right. I still believe in God, but that wasn't fair. But God is a God who says, we think the worst thing that can happen to us is dying, don't we? But God took care of that, didn't he? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And as hard as that is for us to to grasp hold of, he has defeated death. And the resurrection brings us the hope of eternity, not only with our God, our Father, but with those who have gone before us. So this morning we offer an invitation. Maybe somebody needs to name, even in your anger, even in your fear of God, to come and surrender to Him and make Him Lord of your life. Be baptized into Him. We offer that invitation. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. And I'll be honest, I don't know that I will ever not struggle with the Uzza thing till I get to pull my chair up next to God and go, now explain that again. But until that day, I'm going to try to get to know the God that I know sent his son to die for me. And I want to try to live for him. That's what I want to try to do. So we're a church that's not perfect, but we try to do that. So if you're looking for a church home and you're struggling, join us. We're on the struggle bus together to get to know God. So the band's going to play a song for us, the worship team. And uh, we're going to go into a time of communion. If you're here for the first time and you're... A believer, you don't have to be a member of our church to join in communion with us. If you're a believer, we invite you to do that. If you didn't get one of those little baggies, you can sneak out during the song and grab you one. And then together, as a body, we're going to take the, the communion that Jesus said, Remember me and don't ever forget how much I love you. Even in the midst of your anger, even in the midst of your fears, don't forget how much I love you.
Jesus experienced fear and anger and all those things that we did, yet was without sin. And he went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice for us. So we want to remember that and focus on that on this next song as we prepare our hearts. Let's stand and sing together. And if you have a decision to make, please walk forward and I'll try to walk you through it. <clears throat>